Hello and welcome to the Tangential Space Podcast. My name is Matt Fowler. I'm Mike Girl. I'm Dave Iverson. And this week we're going to be talking about the recent summer release, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Um, we're just going to, right off the bat, let you know there will be spoilers uh, in our discussion here. So if you have not had a chance to see it yet, that would be a great idea to do before you listen. Um, unless you don't mind having spoilers, I guess you could listen then. Yeah. Up to you. Yeah, so we're going to just kind of dig into it and give our thoughts and impressions of the movie and see where the conversation goes. Because it's volume two, we obviously know it is a sequel to the uh, previous hit, Gardens of the Galaxy. Um, it is, again, written and directed by James Gunn and is now the 15th movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And is also now the third film in what is Phase 4 of the whole Marvel movie mm. uh, experiment. So, kind of crazy to think there were 15 movies into this. That started yeah. way back in, was it 2008 with Iron Man? Yeah, some, something like that. I, oh, it's crazy that it's, it's been oh, 15 Fifteen of them. Uh, now, now, do they include um, Edward Norton's Hulk? Yes. Okay, because I th- that no, that came after Iron Man. Never mind. Yep, I believe they came out the same year. Um, though chronologically, it occurs around the same time as Iron Man Two. Okay, but I'm f- fairly certain both Iron Man and Incredible Hulk came out the same year. But I can check that quickly. <laughs> yeah, both were 2008. Yeah, it's been... And it does not include the like TV shows, both Netflix or ABC. It's just the movies. Which I think we talk about a little bit more later on in terms of the scope of what Marvel's doing and how this all plays together. Um, but I figured we just kind of dig into the plot a little bit first. Um, so being a sequel, it does work well if you've seen the first one. If you haven't seen the first one, there will be elements that will have you confused here. But at the same time, I did find this was a movie that stood well on its own still. That you could probably figure out what's going on enough to make it still enjoyable. Yeah. Though. Yeah, I could, I could, I could see that. I don't. I mean, I don't know why. I, I don't know the situation why someone would go see the second one and not the first one. But hey, people are weird. People, people can do that if they want. But I, I, I agree with you. I think that enough. There's enough introduction to who they are in such a way that if you hadn't seen the first one, you wouldn't be completely thrown off i think you could figure out the story well enough you just maybe wouldn't quite understand all the interrelationships or you know when yondu shows up you know what he has to do with anything but other than that i think you'd be fine or yeah. or like the that there's that line later in the movie about like um how he tried to tried to eat me and like that was a running gag in the first movie 
that you you know if if you saw it if you saw the first movie and then you hear that callback then you're like yay they brought that back with that whole joke about eating people um, <laughs> um but but if you but it was funny enough that you know if you didn't see it whatever if you didn't see it you'd just be like oh that's funny yeah so it it picks up you know, with the team now formed, whereas the first one you you get the you know how they meet and come together storyline that you get in a lot of you know group movies where everyone has to find a way to each other. Um, but here you can just jump right in a bit more, and you have them already working together and saving the galaxy, as it were. Um, this time they are, you've got a couple villains this time, whereas in the previous movie it was a little more focused on Ronan the Accuser, so now you add in, so you have the Sovereign, led by Aisha, and then you have, um, the, this one's a big, kind of spoiler if you haven't seen the movie, uh, but Ego, the Living Planet, played here by the always fantastic Kurt Russell. Um, and then the Reavers, or the, the Ravengers, sorry. Reavers was a Firefly. Serenity and Firefly. Uh, the Ravengers, as they split up, and <laughs> the main one, Taserface. Taserface. You know, and, you know, they, they all get to serve that villain purpose at, in different ways and at different times um, as they kind of come in and out. And um, like the previous Guardians, this movie deals a lot with the concept of family. And here you also deal a lot with the father-son relationship. Yeah, it was a rather entertaining movie. It has that same feel and tone of the original. Yeah, absolutely. The I mean it was just, it was still a very colorful, lively I mean he he had the same feel from the first movie down. Um you know, and it does help with the whole like volume to you know, the the soundtrack and everything. Yeah you, you have that going for you, which is nice. Yes, is awesome mix volume two. As Peter gets to rock out to new music this time, as the previous mix was destroyed. I always love the movie, the the music in both the other movie and this one. I think that uh, the throwback to, you know, I mean, it makes sense in the story, which is what really makes it awesome, is because, you know, he's stuck in that time period. That and when he thought David Hasselhoff was his father was also a, a nice touch, but... um. I, I like the music choices, and I mean, it just l- gives that big sound to their space adventure. So I think it works really well. Yeah, I really, I really appreciated uh, the one of my favorite songs long before this movie even came out was uh, ELO, Mister Blue Sky, and that song in this movie was fantastic. It was one of the, the few times 
James James Gunn tends to do this, where there's action. There's lots of the the. It came out during Mr. Blue Sky came out at at the intro, um, during the the intro credits as Baby Groot was dancing around, and the rest of the Guardians were being tossed and shot at and like lunged at and thrown around and baby Groot not noticing at all but it was just such a fun intro to the movie so even even if you have no idea what the movie is you just know how much fun you're in for just right in the intro just seeing this little baby dancing around jumping on that little rat type thing um, getting upset with Drax when he, he was thrown onto the speakers and just starts attacking him. It was just, it was so much fun. And it was just, I mean, that, that intro just gave you the feeling of what the whole movie is going to be like. It's, it's going to be, it's going to be silly. It's going to be musical. It's going to be colorful. It's going to be action-packed. Yeah. I think, yeah. It was just, it was a good intro, and it, it gave you a feeling of, it, it really did set up how the movie would go from there. Although my, uh, it's not a problem with the movie, but I did think it's weird. So after I saw the movie, I was at Target, and I was looking at the Lego sets, and none of the Lego sets really match very well with what's actually happened in the movie. Like, they have one of them fighting whatever that beast was at the very beginning, but in the Lego set, they're flying a ship like at it, fighting it from the ship, and they never really fought it with the ship. They're yes, it was it the. I actually have all the Lego sets. I purchased them before the movie came out. Um, <laughs> shouldn't surprise anyone. And then, did you look back at them and realize that none of them matched very well with the scenes they're supposed to portray? With the Lego sets, they're more trying to give you cool spaceships with the Guardians characters. And semi, see if you can fit them into the movie. So again, yeah, you know, instead of just having a giant set of that creature, that's a smaller piece that comes with the Milano ship. Um, then you have, you know, you need a villain ship, so in a smaller set, you get a very shrunk-down version of a Ravager ship with Taser Face and then Rocket and his traps as well as Mantis. And then the third set has like the mining vehicle from the film's finale as well as Aisha and one of their sovereign drones. Which doesn't make sense because she didn't drive a drone. She just watched everyone else. I thought she flew one in the finale. Like at the end. Maybe. I believe she did. You're the expert here, not me. I also thought it was very interesting that uh, Ego does not have a minifigure or presence within the Legos. I don't know if that's something... Or does he have a presence within all the Legos? No, he doesn't. He's not there at all. It was a joke, because he's omnipresent, you know, like a part of everything. I I got that, but he wasn't part of the Lego sets. He wasn't there. Oh, because he, uh, well, he wasn't really a it. part of everything. Really part of 
You know, well, he planted like a seed. Spoiler, we're not there yet. More than one. <laughs> but boom, boom. Um, but yeah, I, I think we found our first tangent of the night, Legos. Um, but no, they, they, it would be awesome if I had a Lego minifigure that is Kurt Russell. That would be awesome. I need that. So if, if anyone from Lego is listening, I, I, I would definitely love more Guardian sets. So get on that and then make sure one of them's got uh, Ego in there. Also, if you could just make a giant Death Star-sized Ego planet, it's just a giant purple planet with a face, that would be pretty cool. That'd be pretty cool. That's a great idea. If anyone out there does Lego modding, feel free to steal that idea and run with it. Go. <laughs> I, have, I have high hopes in our in our listenership. Well, that's, I, I, I don't I don't doubt our listeners. I just um, <laughs> I, I just I feel like they could you know spend their time better than creating a giant ego. I, I would argue that that's a perfectly acceptable waste of time. Mm. I, I feel like it'd be ju- I feel like it would just be so much easier to create a little Kurt Russell. That would be the easiest way to go about it, yes. But at the same... And then make a miracle set. But at the same time, a $400 giant ego would be pretty fantastic. Though I feel like the market for that is going to be fairly small. <laughs> Besides, the scale would be all off. If you go Death Star size. Yeah, the scale is way off on that. It's, it's off, but at the same time. Well, uh, how often is the scale on? Like, would you, the Lego Death Star scale is way off. That's what I'm saying. Maybe we get back to the movie, huh? <laughs> All right, we, we can transition away from our Lego tangent. Yeah, it just means we need to have like a full-on Lego podcast where I can just geek out for a while. Yeah, I mean, sure, if you want. But I'm just going to spend the next hour talking to you about Legos. So, next bullet point. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can, we can kind of look at the cast and crew for this movie. Um, so... For director James Gunn, um, prior to Guardians and now Guardians 2, I think he was best known more for his writing, though he'd had a few um, films prior to them. Uh, The one I was aware of and enjoyed a lot was Slither, which was a horror film starring Nathan Fillion. Um, And then Super which I've had in my Netflix queue for quite a while and just have never gotten around to watching it, which was the... Oh, that's the um, Rain Wilson, Alan Page. Yeah, that was a good one. I really enjoyed that one. I think the problem was it came out really close to um, Kick-Ass. And so in my mind, they just kind of meshed together because I'd seen Kick-Ass. I just never bothered with Super. Yeah, yeah, I guess Classic. I could see that, but it is, I mean, it is, there are two different kind of takes on the, 
there there are two different in my mind there are two different takes on the superhero in real life um <laughs> genre why well, it's not even a genre but but what i'm saying is like i i feel i feel like kick ass kind of in a way ends more superhero y and i feel like super does not Super kind of ends more realistically because I mean, I mean, if you look at Kickass, the way the way Kickass ends with him riding like <laughs> strapped onto a rocket with a bazooka or a, a rocket launcher, and you have Hit Girl taking out everybody, and it's all all for like you know vengeance for them killing Big Daddy. I mean. I mean that's superhero stuff right there. But the way, if I remember correctly, because I only saw—I mean, I watched Kickass a bunch because I love that one. But the way Super Super ends, uh, if I if I remember correctly, I'm not going to tell you how it ends because you still have it on your Netflix, you. But it, it is a little bit more real. And yeah, I, I think I think they just kind of yeah flip around. I would suggest Super. Okay. I'll have to give it a try. But yeah, so... You know, Guardians and Guardians 2 here are fairly early in his directing career. Um, and it's quite impressive to think of how well he has done. With only a few directing gigs under his belt to take over a giant science fiction film and just create something so special and unique. I'm excited to see where his career goes from here, though I know he's already um, confirmed to be doing Guardians Volume 3 next. I don't believe he's going to try to fit in like a smaller film. Um, and if he just continues making Guardians movies, I'll probably be pretty pleased with that. Though, it, at the same time, it, it will be nice to see what direction his career takes after this. Yeah. And now with, you know, the credibility that he has and the reputation, um, he will be in demand as a director. Um, you know, it's, it's really, I mean, I'm not saying he does bad stuff, um, because, because I, I, I've watched some of the stuff and I've seen, I've seen, you know, some things and it's, it's really, it's really interesting, um, that you have someone like him making, uh, he's, he's such a popular movie because, I mean, if you look through some of, some of his other stuff, um, which I am right now. You got the Belko experience. Yep, that was that. It, he was a writer on that. Yeah, well, um, yeah, he's he's. I mean, he's a writer for like that movie, movie forty three. I'm just looking through his IMDb real quick. That um the the one that really excites me the most is probably a Dolphin Man battles the sex lobsters. <laughs> that one sounds interesting. Um, you know, uh, movie forty three. <laughs> 
Which would have been just a segment in that. It was a segment. You're, you're right, because it was written by lots of other people. Um, Scooby-Doo, Scooby-Doo 2, um, Slither 2, Dawn of the Dead. Um, he kind of had... He was... I, I feel like he was more of, like, a kind of like a fringe director. Like, he... he I mean, until he got Guardians of the Galaxy... Like he was, he was making some movies, and people kind of knew his name. But then once he hit, you know, the first one, everyone, you know, lost their stuff. And uh, well, again, a lot of those there were ones that were, um, just written by credits. Yeah, director-wise, he doesn't have as much there. No. I mean, it's still kind of all over the place. Like, you, you talked about the dolphin one earlier. He's got one here called Humanzy, which I'm assuming has to do with, like, a human chimpanzee. Awesome. Um, oh, it was an unused pilot for something. <laughs> but, but, yeah, I mean, it's just been... He's but. he's just done such a good job on these two movies. So it'll be very exciting to see where his career goes from there. Yeah. And then as you get into the cast, likewise, you know, there's a couple names in here that, you know, their star in Hollywood will owe a lot to this series. Starting off with Chris Pratt. Mm-hmm. I remember, you know, during the casting process for this movie, when his name came up, and I'm thinking, Andy Dwyer from Parks and Rec is going to be a superhero? No. No, that does not work. (laughs) That sounds awful. (laughs) The fat, lazy, goofy guy... From Mouse Rat. (laughs) ...is somehow going to be an action hero. And yet now, he is like... One of the go-to guys in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. You know, that was followed up by, you know, Jurassic World. And um, last year he had a couple movies with both The Magnificent Seven and Passengers. Now he's got Guardians. Next he's got Avengers Infinity War. He's got the Jurassic World sequel coming out. Mm-hmm. And... His continued rise to fame is not going to slow down anytime soon. I hope not. I I like the guy a lot, so. If he could snag himself some more serious type roles, I could see him very much like a Harrison Ford. Yeah. He just has that swagger and vibe to him. Isn't that why it's going to be the next Indiana Jones? Well, the next Indiana Jones is supposed to still be Harrison Ford. (laughs) That's what they want you to think. At least that's what is what they're saying right now, yes. Um, The other one that I think will owe quite a bit of their career to this movie is Dave Bautista, the former wrestler. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, when, when you think of 
wrestlers turned actors, for the most part, they don't have the best track record. I mean, Hulk Hogan did have some gems like Suburban Commando, Yikes. Santa with mupple- Muscles, um, Mr. Nanny. Mr. Nanny. <laughs> you know, I-, I will give Roddy Roddy Piper that he actually had the legitimately good They Live. Um, but really, Dwayne The Rock Johnson is one of the few that has made that transition and extremely successfully. And I don't think Dave Bautista, I don't think, will ever come anywhere near that. But it seems like he's finding his niche. And this role is just so perfect for him. And he plays it so well with that combination of brute strength, cluelessness, just emotionally stunted nature that it all just fits together so well. And he does it so believingly and so you know the the crowd is just drawn to him you laugh you have a great time with the way he he does that character if he can find some other material like this Mm -hmm. i know a lot of his other stuff seems to be much more of just like the bruiser henchman in the background like from specter from specter is what i'm thinking um believe he what was that one weird martial arts flick man and uh Um, no yeah man man with the iron iron fists yeah yeah Yeah. but knowing he also does have you know blade runner 2049 coming out this fall and uh sometime in 2018 he's got escape plan 2 Ooh. yeah with with um stallone Stallone's coming back. No Schwarzenegger, though. No, he got out and he stayed out. That's why it was an escape plan. If if he can find himself some good roles, you know, I think he will be able to really make a solid career for himself outside of wrestling. Absolutely, yeah. Um, Whereas the rest of the cast, you know, Zoe Saldana is essentially the it girl when it comes to science fiction right now between the guardians movies, the star Trek reboot and avatar. She's had quite a few very successful movies and all of them. If they ever end up making the avatar movies, which they keep talking about um, are quite big franchises. So, um, you know, she's, she's found a, a nice niche for herself and is doing quite well in that area. Um, and rounding out the main cast, you have more of the, just the voice acting part from Vin Diesel and Bradley Cooper for both Groot and Rocket Raccoon. Um, and Bradley Cooper's voice, you of course can tell and is very obvious. Vin Diesel's, especially with Baby Groot this time. Mm-hmm. Little harder. It was it was a little bit more noticeable when uh, at near the end or during the credits when uh, you have Teen Groot, preteen Groot. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, this time, Michael Rooker, Zyandu, and Karen Gillian's Nebula both are given increased roles, um, which I think really benefited both of them. Um, most prominently, Michael Rooker or Rooker. 
um, who you might have recognized from The Walking Dead the first season. Did he come back in season two, or did he just is uh, he, he out after? Well, no, he came back. He came back. He he came back a while. He came back. Later. I just couldn't remember if it was still within season one or if it was after that. No, he he came back a while later, like a couple okay. seasons. Um, but yeah, this time Yondu has a much larger story arc, and it has a very satisfying payoff as his role in Peter Quill's life. Um, is highlighted and it plays into the whole concept of family and fathers and sons in terms of what makes a father. Is it your genetics or is it the role you play in a child's life and their development? Um, which I thought was very touching. And then of course there were a couple of new additions to the cast. Um, I'm going to attempt to say this last name, but I know I'm going to butcher it, but Palm Clementiev was Mantis, um, who is a kind of helper-servant to Kurt Russell's ego, who I'd mentioned earlier. Um, and then in a very small role, you have Sylvester Stallone appearing as a, a former Ravenger um, Starhawk. But a solid cast. And all of them do well with the material they're given, and um, a couple really stand out and put themselves out there quite well. And then, of course, it is a Marvel movie, so it has a very specific look and feel to it um, in terms of the, the tone of the movie can at times get serious, but overall, it is out to entertain you. It wants you to smile and laugh and have a good time. Um, thankfully, Marvel allowed James Gunn to kind of step outside some of the elements that we'd come to see in most of the Marvel movies, and just the color palette is much brighter and more fanciful than logically have the movies that are taking place on Earth that have a Still a bright appearance, but it's more of a grounded Earth feel to it. Um, whereas here you get a lot of the bright neons and pastel colors and things just pop in a different way. Yeah, one, one, one thing that I noticed that is uh, when, when I went to go see um, the movie, and this is, this is kind of a, a tangent, um, when I went to go see the movie... Uh, one of the trailers for it was uh, Thor Ragnarok. Now, I haven't seen the movie yet. I just saw the one trailer. But it had a very Guardians of the Galaxy feel to it. Yes. It, it was kind of fast action, very colorful, strange-looking characters. Uh, funny characters, funny, lots of funny moments. Uh, so I think a couple badass moments, and then uh, over top you have some sort of old rock song. And I was, I just turned, I just turned to my wife, and I was like, you know, they they clearly got the inspiration. I, I I'm wondering if they got the inspiration directly from Guardians of the Galaxy. Well, much in the same way that Iron, the original Iron Man, 
kind of set the tone and the feel for the rest of the Earthbound Marvel Cinematic Universe. Guardians has laid out what the cosmic side of this universe is going to look like. I mean, you even saw a little of it in uh, Doctor Strange. Yeah. And um, so because Thor 3 is going to have more of a cosmic setting, it would make sense to go in that direction. Yeah, I, I could see that. I could, I could see it, but it's just, especially, uh, especially with the Thor movies, though they've just, they've really kind of struggled to find. In in my opinion, the the Thor movies they've really tried to struggle to find, thematically, what that series is. I think they have. I think the problem with the Thor movies is that in many ways they are the weak links of this Marvel Cinematic Universe, or MCU, as I'll just say from now on, because I'm tired of saying it. Yep. Um, yet at the same time, they're still well-made, entertaining movies. I will happily re-watch those films. Yeah. But if I'm going to like list my favorites... Both Thor and Thor Dark World are going to fall lower on the list. Yeah. I think the problem is that Thor works much better as a part of the greater ensemble. And when he's on his own, it's harder for him to be the comedic counterpoint to someone else or even to have that conflict when he's the only hero around. I mean, granted, in the first movie, there was sort of like his friends came down from Asgard to help him and hang out or whatever. And He's always got the girl and the scientist with him, but you know, it's a lot different than when he's with the Avengers. Yeah. I could, I could, yeah. But I, I do have high hopes for Thor 3. I think it looks like it could be a very, it could be the, the best of the Thor films and just looks like a solid entry into the MCU. Yeah, well, I, I don't... Honestly, I enjoy the Thor films. I like all of the Marvel films. But I... I as, I was, as I was trying to say earlier about how, how the, I feel like they're struggling, it's because, uh, like, all, all of the Iron Man movies kind of have the same feel through it. Um, Captain America kind of has, I mean, for the most part, kind of has the same kind of feel. But the thing is, the first, like the first Thor movie, was felt very, um, because because it was directed by the first Thor movie was directed by Kenneth Branagh, it it felt less fun, actiony, more, um, I guess in a weird way Shakespearean. Well, yeah, I mean, that would make sense when, when it's Kenneth Branagh, because... Yeah, like, the action... That's like, so much of what he has done has been within that realm. Yeah. But I think the other problem was, being that it was one of the Phase 1 Marvel films, it was not given the same backing that they have now. I mean, it was still a big-budget summer superhero film, don't get me wrong. 
but it had to be toned down quite a bit from what it could have been. So unlike the second film or the third film now, you know, so much of the action had to be grounded on Earth. And even that is, you know, toned down a bit. So it doesn't... It wasn't allowed to get as crazy as, say, Guardians was able to, because by that point, you know, the Marvel films had all been such big successes that they could take a greater risk in saying, like, yeah, go ahead, James Gunn, make this crazy, over-the-top science fiction superhero film, and whatever happens, happens. Like, if Guardians had failed... Marvel still had the Avengers to lean back on. The fact that it succeeded has allowed Marvel to go off and stretch in, you know, newer directions. You know, then going off and having a film like Ant-Man and um, Doctor Strange, I think, are two characters that benefited from the success of Guardians. And just helps to open up a new avenue of storytelling for, for these films. And it'll be exciting to see in the next Avengers movie, Infinity War, how they're able to draw it all together. Because obviously Thor is connected into the main Marvel Universe already with Avengers. Um, outside of the specter of Thanos in the background, the Guardians have remained secluded from everyone else. And this will finally bring them into the fold. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I saw a, uh, just a very brief clip of um, Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Pratt and Tom Holland all standing together. I, I, I don't remember what they, why they were standing together. But it just it just that that like just alone those three together, knowing their characters that are going to be together, I just I was so excited. Oh yeah, like you look at the the cast for Infinity War, and it is just ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, it won't, it can't. There's no way it will. But part of me thinks it'd be funny if it just flopped. Well, the problem is it will not flop. Well, it's not a problem. No. But it will not flop because of the fact that based on what has come before it, people are going to flock to that movie. You know, in the same way we've seen with the Star Wars films. You know, it's, it's at a point where it has that type of name recognition. Yeah. That is going to draw in an audience, regardless if the movie comes out and critics just say it is the worst piece of crap ever. There are plenty of people like me who are going to be like, I want to go and see for myself. Like, if, if, they, if they kick off the two directors and let, like, oh, what's his name? The guy who does Transformers. Michael Bay, but let's not start Michael Bay bashing. I like Michael Bay. And, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a time and place for Michael Bay movies, and it's 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 not in you. You can't buy, you can't bag all Michael Bay movies together. There are whereas a lot of them are the large over the top action films, but even there you have different degrees. You have the 
kind of just family popcorn style of, say, an Armageddon. You have the very adult style of Bad Boys 2. Uh, you have a little more of a thinking action movie to a degree with something like The Rock. You know, the, for all the faults, you know, the Transformers movies have their entertaining moments. You know, but then he'll go off and in between making those, make something like 13 Hours or Pain and Gain, which are smaller films that he's a little more passionate about. They still have that Michael Bay feel, but I, I think people forget some of the other things he's done just because he's been so locked into the Transformers universe for so long. Okay, okay, okay. Alex, Alex, yeah. Well, it's just it's it's one where I've I've always been a Michael Bay fan from the moment I first saw The Rock, then Armageddon, then I discovered the Bad Boys films or first Bad Boys, (laughs) and I saw Bad Boys Two in theaters. Um, And it was thanks to those movies that I was really excited for him to do Transformers, and he's never lived up to my hopes for them. But like he's making them the way he wants to make them. And if I dislike him enough, then I could have just gone and watched the old cartoons, you know, including the, uh, the old animated movie. But he's, he's just become like the internet scapegoat for all that is wrong with cinema. Yet at the same, like, I, I personally think that he's got his niche, and it's a niche that I enjoy and apparently a lot of people enjoy. Oh, yeah. Blow, you know, stuff blowing up is cool. That's lots of fun. There's, a, there's an art to it as well. Oh, yeah, 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 sure. You got the tiny, you got the tiny explosions, you know? You and there's a reason they released, you know, both Armageddon and The Rock as Criterion films. That that group thought highly enough of them that they wanted to, you know, put the money and the time into you know, the good transfers and the extra special features. Okay, okay, okay. Okay. I just, I just, I mean, I'll just, we'll just put it this way. I'm just, I'm just not, I'm just not a big fan of his. But, I mean, hey. You know, his movies, his movies are successful. Look at, look at the uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies. I haven't, I haven't watched them. But they make money. So someone's got to like him. He's doing something right for some people. Those ones are just producing credits. Oh, gosh, dang it. <sighs> well, okay, fine. We'll just go back to the Transformer movie then. I've only watched the first one, and I had uh, major issues with it. So I haven't watched anything past that. So really, I, I shouldn't fully be bashing him, because I haven't fully watched all of them. But, uh, you know, I might still bash him, though. And I probably won't watch the movies. And I'll be there to support him. I got your back, Michael Bay. I'm so glad he listens to this podcast. <laughs> I have high hopes for our, li- our, our listeners. I, I'm, I'm hoping that we've somehow found a way to get out to the world much larger than we have. Maybe one day we'll get huge and someone will pass this along to Michael Bay. And he'll be like, he'll be like, oh, 
that Matt guy's got my back. Thanks, Matt Fowler. So how much would you love it if Michael Bay turned out to be like a big Lego guy himself? And it was just like, you know, I was like, I'm going to be the guy that's going to build the giant Death Star size ego. Yeah. That'd be pretty fantastic. <laughs> okay. And then that would fill you with happiness because it would give him a distraction from making more Transformers movies. It would be a win-win for both of us, Dave. But then they'd have another... Well, I guess they already have another Transformer movie out. No, I'm saying this would give him a distraction. He wouldn't be making another Transformers movie. He would be making large mock Lego sculptures of purple-faced planets. Mm. And Mike has gone completely silent on us here. Yeah, Michael Bay, whatever. <laughs> is, that, is that like a good whatever? like, Or just like, whatever, Michael Bay. Like, you don't like him, good or bad. Um, whatever. Really, now I'm just thinking about that uh, not-to-scale ego head again. (laughs) Alright, so we'll we'll, we'll transition away from Michael Bay speak and uh, discussions for a while and um, kind of get back into the MCU and how Guardians fits into it. Um, So would you both agree that it is a a solid addition to the MCU? I think as far as being a part of the universe, I mean, does it could you take it out and the universe would still be fine? Probably, unless that changes later. I think it is a good build on the first movie, but I don't know that it it has huge impacts throughout the universe that we know of yet. I mean, pending how the end of the movie credit scenes pan out like with the Ravagers getting together and whatnot. Yeah. Um, so overall through the conversation, it seems like everyone's enjoyed the film. How about criticisms of it? Like, did you have any issues? You know, I have, I have one issue that I think I'm all by myself on. Um, with with Guardians to it's such a weird thing for me to complain about. I love Batista. I love Drax. I also think I'm one of the only people who just thought he had maybe too much comedy. I like no. I could see your point. I, I mean. It was, it was, it was just, it's, I mean, I'm sure that, like, in the next movie, he's, you know, or whenever he's in the next battle, he, you know, kicks a lot of, you know, but, I don't know, they just, they played the comedic side to him a lot, like, almost every time he said something, it was some sort of comedic thing, and... I don't. I don't know. It's. It's not like I hated it. I. I love some of his lines, but no. I think, and maybe this is just me taking on what you're saying, but I think I agree that I think they took the parts that were big hits of the first movie, like the parts that got big laughs, and they sort of pushed those further this time and 
maybe used them too much. Whereas I think with the first movie, they didn't necessarily know. I mean, they knew it was funny, and then you know, but you don't know what's going to be the big break. They didn't know that everyone was going to maybe love Groot the way they did, you know. So then they took the things from that that really were big one-liners or big hits, but not necessarily what made the movie a cohesive. Because uh, I think the first one was pretty great. I think this one was decent. Like I think they just. It's still a fun movie, but I think they just kind of lost sight of what really made the first one so great, and they're just kind of making a sequel to go along the same lines, if that makes sense. I can see your point that I don't, I don't actually agree with it. Like, I, I, I still, I would, I would agree with that the first, I enjoyed the first one and thought the first one was a better movie. Um, I did not put this one that, or much, or too far behind it. For me, I think it still had a strong emotional arc at the center of it, like the first film. Um, you know, at, at times it did embrace that silliness a little bit more with some of the dialogue for Drax, for Groot, for Rocket. Um, but my criticisms were more for. I, I was not a fan of like the the little bit that we were given of Earth in the film. You know, the end with the weird like blob thing popping up. I get that they were they were trying to establish stakes for the rest of the universe. Um, it just it felt forced to me. It 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 felt out of place, I guess. And then my my other criticism is a little more nitpicky. And this is as a comic nerd. I was really hoping they were going to more fully embrace the character of Ego, the living planet. You know, and I got using the Kurt Russell, you know, human figure was necessary. I was not expecting an entire movie of a giant purple planet. Um, <laughs> But they more just skimmed over it towards the end where they had a chance to really embrace the absurdity and the insanity of it. And I thought it was just a missed opportunity for something very unique and that, again, as somebody who's read the comics and enjoyed them, um, I would have preferred seeing that character brought to life more as I know it. Okay. And then, as with all Marvel movies, um, the villains just are not as strong as the heroes. But here with the Sovereign, you know, they, they basically just served a purpose. Same thing with Taserface and uh, the Ravengers. They, they serve a purpose, but they don't really stand out as strong villains. You know? Give me a couple months after seeing this movie, and I will struggle to remember, you know, names like the Sovereign or Aisha. Yep, I I just saw it, and I don't I don't. I saw on IMDb it said like this person's name is Aisha, and I'm like, who's Aisha? Well, it doesn't help that she is not a prominent comic character either, or the fact that they, I mean, even then they're they're playing around with her comic background quite a bit 
Um, you know, so it wasn't even somebody that it was like, oh, that person from the comic book. I had to go look her up to see, like, wait, who is the villain for this one? Yeah. And that's, and that's why I originally, like, laughed when, when you talked about villains. Because and, and, one thing that I found interesting about um, this movie is, because, like, in the, first, in the first Guardians of the Galaxy, he was going up against, uh, oh, what was his name? Ronan the Accuser. Thank you, Ronan the Accuser. Bad guy. Bad guy. Trying to get rid of everybody and everything. In this, that's not the case. Uh, no. I'm, I'm, I mean, not really. Because Ronan, Ronan the Accuser was trying to destroy everything to destroy everything. I mean, he had like a little... Cree, you know, whatever. But the thing is, like, as far as um, Aisha and the, what were they called? The Sovereign. The Sovereign. Yeah. They were, they were peaceful people. I mean, they were kind of snotty. But the thing is, they were fairly peaceful people who just, you know, lived differently. <laughs> And then Rocket stole some batteries, which they were supposed to protect. And then it all got blown out of proportion, and it's just like, they're, I mean, they, are, they became kind of like the bad guys, but they weren't really bad in the first place. Um, the well, they were bad guys in the sense that they were pushing our heroes in the direction the story wanted them to go. Oh yeah, no, but but what I'm saying, what, and I agree because. But that yeah, that's what I mean. Have it's, to consider it, them as the bad guys, but it was just interesting because, I mean, the Ravagers are definitely the bad guy, you know, or definitely are bad guys, but some of them weren't. Um, like it was just it's this interesting thing where there was there was, in this movie there was a lot more, gray area. For the bad guy, good guys and bad guys, because I mean, ego. I I mean, P Peter's dad. Yes, he was planning on destroying everything, but there was a greater good to it. Unlike Ronan the Accuser, which wanted to just destroy everything, just so everything was destroyed. You know, and and I just I thought it was interesting that like so many of their their. Uh, quote, bad guys in this movie were, you know, on a morally uh, slightly ambiguous ground. You know? Does that make any sense? Well, I, I would say for the Sovereign and the Ravager, like, for me, Ego, the, the reason he, he seems more ambiguous is because it takes so long to get to him being the villain. You know, the movie plays, you know, they, they want you to kind of go with Peter on this this journey of thinking like, oh, I, I, I've always wanted to know my dad. Is this who I want it to be? And for you to be able to do that with him, you can't fully know his motives or, you know, the terrible things he wants to do. And so it's not really until that final act of the film that he takes on the villain role. 
True, true, true. And so, because of that, you needed other villains to push them forward so you could get to that final act. But they just kind of get dispatched and, you know, lost along the way, or they pop back up suddenly, as was the case with the Sovereign kind of reappearing at the end of the film after disappearing for a while. Yeah. It's certainly going to be interesting to see how everything comes together, you know, next summer for Avengers Infinity War, and then that'll really set the course of where things can go for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Now, I've I've got a quick question for, for you. Um, I'm looking at the IMDB page for Infinity Wars. And, of course, you know, they have, you know, Chris Hemsworth, Chris Evans, Benedict Cumberbatch, Scarlett Johansson, Tom Holland, all these people. Um, Chris Pratt, Dave Bautista, but they also have Michael Rooker, rumored. Uh, that That has been, um, discredited. It has been. Yes. So they put that but up. They put at least that up there as kind of like a. He might be in the next movie, and then he. I mean, it's it's very possible that maybe there would be some sort of flashback. Yeah. But um, I did read an article where James Gunn basically came out and said he is dead. You know, and 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 uh, sorry, sorry to interrupt, but in a lot of superhero movies, I'm just going to point this out: in a lot of super movies. Hero movies, you're never quite sure. Very well, I mean, and that's been another knock against the Marvel movies. Yeah, well, you're never quite sure unless <laughs> unless you see them die the way Yondu died. Well, that one and Quicksilver, but then again, um, Agent Coulson seemed pretty darn dead at the end of the first Avengers. And then suddenly reappeared for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. But the thing is, <laughs> like, you can't, there's, there's, like, no way, I mean, unless, unless some cosmic being kind of, like, scooped up all of Yondu's ashes. Like, that's... I'm sure if he was on the IMDb page, it was just because they, you know, people put him on there when they just assume they're there. It's not like, oh, yeah. um... A sheet is turned in by the by the filmmakers, and that's that. You know, a lot of it's just whatever. And then they didn't want to; they didn't discredit it ahead of time because they didn't want to spoil the movie. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, no, and I get it, and I, that's kind of what I that's kind of what I thought it would be when I looked at it. But um, I don't know. I just I just want to point that out that it, it still says rumored. But yeah, as as you pointed out, it's it's most likely just to, you know, shut some fanboys up about. Oh, Michael Rooker is not in the next one. Clearly, he's gonna die during Volume Two, which I mean turns out to be true. But you don't want people to. I mean, that's a pretty powerful moment. You don't want them, to, you know. Yeah. Uh, quick question. Yes. Did either of you guys shed a tear? I did not. 
I don't. I no. no. I don't need to know. <laughs> so really, you're just asking if I shed a tear, and you were just certain that Mike's robotic tear ducts were not functioning on that at that time. Correct. Thank you for understanding that I'm not. I didn't go out there to just insult Mike. I just know that uh, your 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 AI doesn't understand how how humans you know human emotions work so right <laughs> did you shed a tear dave uh i got emotional i don't think i shed a tear I, I would say it was an emotional moment i wasn't overly invested in it in that moment of like the there are not many movies that i i will admit to having shed a tear in um the one that I, I could list as a tangent here, because it applies very well, um, in terms of like father-son relationship, I bawled like a baby at the end of Big Fish. Mm, okay. Just the the relationship of father and son and storytelling, for whatever reason, just hit me. And when the son finally is able to embrace his father for who he is and as his father is dying and leaving the world he tells him his he gives him a tall tale kind of end to his story you know to the to the father's life and it just touched me when i saw it and even even now i i get a little teary-eyed when i watch that film i i can't i can't point out uh what what movie Makes me tear up because we don't have enough time. And um, that you have more than one, is that what you're saying? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we, we, we can save that for another podcast, Movies That Make Us Cry. And Mike will sit that one out. <laughs> <laughs> He'll just moderate it so we can understand how us humans work. As we sit there bawling, holding one, each other, one another. It's okay! <laughs> but, but I, I think that probably brings us to a pretty good spot to wrap things up. Um, so yeah, so hopefully you've enjoyed our take on uh, Guardians Volume Two. Again, it's certainly uh, worth your time to check out if you haven't yet. Um, and yeah, hopefully you're enjoying our podcast. Um, We've got a couple episodes out there, so if this is your first time listening, thank you. Um, give our give our other episodes a, a listen. Uh, please like us on Facebook. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. I am at Tangential Sven. I am at Mike zero three seven. I'm at the Dave Iverson. And you can always check out our website www.tangentialspace.com, uh, where we have. A um, couple different articles that pop up from time to time, um, focusing on books, movies, TV shows, um, other random thoughts that we have. Um, so give those a look and a read as well. Um, but all, as always, thank you for listening. And uh, please give Michael Bay a chance. Let's stop the Michael Bay bashing. Mm-hmm.